Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. Ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. Yes, we say friends today because we are joined by another fantastic uh, fantasy podcast series. Just one of them today, though, but you know what? We're super thrilled we were able to get him for this very important discussion. Please welcome Stephen from Phantology Books. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. It's always so much fun to be on with both of you. Of course, the pleasure is all ours. You know what? We were planning to come back fully, officially, regular release schedule, and we couldn't think of a better way to to kick off the whole thing than with a collab with Phantology. Uh, Phantology, we've collaborated back and forth for a long time now. I guess it's, uh, has it been a year already? I guess maybe it has. Probably over a year. Yeah, time flies in the fantasy podcast business. We started in like November of 2019, which wow. seemed that like that was before COVID was really much of a thing at all, which is insane. I know we started like peak pandemic shutdown, locked in, nowhere to go. And uh, so yeah. it's been a while, I guess. And we're on, we worked with you probably within the first six months or so of doing it. So mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. say, yeah, we've been. Our We've been first doing collab ever for, with Phantology, uh, yeah. as we've always said, <laughs> when we have you on, we love to share yeah. that fact. So, and, and they're also over these over this year plus of time, they've they've sort of become our our resident Cosmere experts, Cosmere yeah. collabs. Oh so, boy! Okay, <laughs> I know that makes you <laughs> nervous every time I say it, Stephen. But you're you're yeah. more uh, you're more knowledgeable than we are. <laughs> We will see what happens. (laughs) But you know what? We're getting better because today we have finished our read of The Way of Kings, which is book one of the Stormlight Archive. And it's like, finally, I feel like this has (laughs) been a huge gap in my fantasy reading career. And now I can show my face in the community for having finally read The Way of Kings. But you guys have, have all read it before, right? Oh, Charles, you had never read before. First read. I didn't, wow. Okay. I did not realize that. Oh, this will be fun. Okay. Yes. He's been hiding behind that beard of his. <laughs> he might actually shave it off oh. and show his face. So it's not just gentlemen bastards that we're waiting on. For <laughs> David, how could you? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've been hiding. Just people have assumed I've read a whole bunch of stuff I haven't read. But you know what? <laughs> The, the podcast has been a good reason for us to read this, and we wanted to come back big. And what better way than with one of the most popular modern fantasy epics of our time, The Way of Kings? And, you know, I was super excited to get into this. And I, Dylan and I knew right away, it's like, okay, well, if we're going to come back and we're going to do Way of Kings, we got to reach out to Phantology because you guys came on uh, for our uh, Emperor's Soul discussion, and that was a lot of fun. And you guys have made such fantastic content around the Cosmere that I was like, oh, man, I just want them involved as much as we can. So super thrilled to have you on. And, and guys, if you're, you know, you like what you hear, then then please go check out, you know, Phantology Books 
and listen to their show and they have a lot of Cosmere content and content on other Fantastic Fantasy series as well. We're getting excited for the Mistborn, the new Mistborn book coming out in Mm -hmm. November, The Lost Metal. Have you read those, Charles? I've read Mistborn. I've read okay, the original nice. trilogy. That was the first series that we ever discussed on the show was Mistborn. Uh, and we both have He's read being it evasive about Era too, though. Yes, I noticed it's, that. I just caught up uh, Era two. on Era 2. So no, I'm, I mean, the only Sanderson I've read is Mistborn, um, Warbreaker, Emperor Soul, and now this, Way of Kings. So. Didn't you read Elantris or no? I have not. Oh, right. So. so not only will your listeners be upset if we do any spoilers <laughs> past Way of Kings, but Charles himself will be very mad at me. So mm. I will swear right now to not do <laughs> well, any spoilers past Way of Kings. This guy is a professional, a, Dylan. You're this such guy a pro. is a professional. <laughs> Dylan, yes. you don't want to follow up with that? <laughs> I know. It's such a, it's a great seg because I get to do my... Yeah, if you haven't yet read... Uh, the way of kings though it's a good time to turn this down in your headphones because we are going to spoil the way of kings nothing beyond that uh nothing else in the cosmere i i assume we'll refrain from spoiling anything out there and Mm -hmm. yeah it should be a really fun discussion and we want to have no holds barred at least for this particular book so i'm pumped to get into it yeah let's let's not waste any time the way of kings so like we said this is my first read through um i guess you know we can go around the table and and get our reactions for uh like where this book kind of stands not just in like sanderson's work but in your own opinion like your Mm -hmm. your initial thoughts to reading through it and for me i i thought it was it it lived up to the hype in a lot of ways yeah it's always been kind of touted as Sanderson's magnum opus I think even he's called it that if I'm not mistaken like this is his his baby and when he's written such famous works and, I, and I've loved Mistborn uh, for a long long time so I, w- I was pretty excited to get into this and I see a lot of Mistborn influence I see a lot of um, Wheel of Time mm-hmm. influence in here but it's still very much is a un- Sanderson's unique story and there's so many great themes and characters that I'm looking to get into but at, at a high level I would say I was very impressed by the series and as epic as it is it, it, it Sanderson's a master storyteller and I just trusted in him to guide me through the whole thing and it was a very rewarding experience that I think any fantasy reader could just really appreciate and dive into so at a high level um, yeah I thought it I thought it was great um steven you how many like you you've read through all of the stormlight right you're caught up i mean i see all those beautiful leather bound uh cosmere books behind you so i I don't i presume you've read everything i am caught up on the cosmere i did a reread before rhythm of war came out last year i don't remember if i reread way of kings though or not because i've read it several times Mm -hmm. i at least three times possibly four times wow and it is but not even a but that's a lot said, of book to be reading that many there's times. so many details there's so many details yes. in it like that said i'm i'm not gonna remember everything mm-hmm. that's well said so like where does the way of king stand for you in amongst sanderson's work mm. man it's always hard to do this because there's so much nostalgia that goes mm-hmm. into this like 
I remember reading this back in 2011. I want to say, I think I read it the year after it was released. I think it was a 2010 release. And at the time, I think I, I waited a little bit on reading it because even though The Way of Kings is kind of an epic name, it also kind of seemed like a boring name to me at the time. It's just like, oh, like there's not much action here in this name. Like, what is this book? Mm. And it was super long. And at the time, I, I hadn't read too many super long books other than most of The Wheel of Time. So uh, that said, after reading it the first time, instantly loved it. It went right to the top of my list, along with The Name of the Wind, Kingkiller Chronicle. And for a long time, I think those have just been like one and two in terms of my favorite fantasy books of all time. I haven't really reevaluated my list recently at all. So I think I would still probably say like this book and The Name of the Wind are my two favorite fantasy books. But part of that is, you know, I read these when I was younger in my right. formative years yeah. mm-hmm. and they really like established my love of fantasy. And it's really hard to go back and say, oh, and now I love these new ones more because those ones were just so important at the time. Wow. I can't believe yeah. it's been that long that this book has been out. I don't know what I've been doing for 10 years, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> 12 years, <laughs> 12 years. Yeah. But Dylan, uh, this is your second read through, right? Second read through. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I always appreciate, especially someone like Sanderson's work when you reread it, that you get to notice all the foreshadow. And there's there's stuff, I guess I don't want to say it because it'd actually be spoilers for right, right. Uh, further book. But it's, I'll just say there's a moment with Shalon that I'm like, it's such obvious foreshadowing. I don't know if Steven, Steven's nodding, so I think he knows the moment I'm talking about. I mean, I can guess. I, I can guess what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god! But the way that Sanderson places these uh, like foreshadowing moments, where a lot of times they come right before an important reveal uh, mm-hmm. that you haven't learned yet, it's like perfect timing. And we've talked about this with Mistborn in the past too. The guy is just a master. Yeah, master storyteller. He's just a master of weaving together all of these pieces and then right. having them all come together in the end with that uh, Sander Lanch. And he'll build the he'll build foreshadowing in that won't come for another couple thousand pages <laughs> down the line in the series. <laughs> and he's so patient and so deliberate and so focused on the reading experience that I I think. I'm not surprised that you enjoy it, even reading it like three, four times, Stephen, because there's there's always so much more to be picking up on. So there's always different levels of like ways you can enjoy Sanderson's work. You can enjoy it at the very base of, uh, hey, just kind of taking in this story. I'm not going to dive deep into all this world stuff or whatever. And you're 100% going to, that's it's going to deliver if that's the way mm-hmm. you look at it mm-hmm. or it's going to deliver if you deep dive in like i'm all into cosmere lore and all that stuff so so much credit to sanders in there i agree it's it's well said you know we we had that experience rereading uh mistborn where you're like this guy's doing like sleight of hand with the way he presents foreshadowing details so i can only imagine what uh what you could pick up on a reread of of something with way more details in it than Mistborn, right? So I can only imagine, and I'm excited to, to, to read through the rest of the series. But the other thing that, you know, beyond Mistborn that this book has me thinking of is Wheel of Time. You know, Brandon Sanderson closed out Wheel of Time, and, and now he's 
like he's got Michael Kramer and Kate Redding doing the audio book. It, mm-hmm. It's this giant, mm-hmm. these big books that are guaranteed to be like 10 plus books yeah. long. So, Oh, the, Charles, not yeah. to interrupt, but we yeah, should note that Kramer and Redding, uh, their most noteworthy work is their introduction to the Phantology podcast. Right? Oh, <laughs> of course. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what they're most known for. You know, Wheel of Time, Stormlight, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but... Maybe that's on page like 200 of their resume. <laughs> <laughs> I know, as if they uh, needed more credentials. <laughs> Just the first two seconds of their uh, um, of their podcast is Michael Kramer and Kate Running's beautiful voices. Um, Grace and they, they were so generous to do that for us like i really can't emphasize how grateful we are that was that was very cool that i mean it's it's so awesome <laughs> I can't even, it, it's such a cool thing that you were able to do and uh, you know they're i just iconic in the in the world of fantasy audiobook narrating and and now here they are again invoking that same that same kind of vibe from Wheel of Time and from Phantology podcast as they are doing in The Way of Kings. And you can't help but compare the two, I would think. But to me, what kind of surprised me about this book that I wasn't expecting was, yes, it's like, obviously, it's a massive book and it's epic in scale and it's kicking off this huge series, but it never really felt that way if that makes any sense like the character povs is mm. really limited to four and he does have a bunch of side things that spin off but he keeps it to his four main povs and then throughout most of the book i don't know sanderson just has this absolute mastery of writing where he's able to just you trust in him and he'll just present you with He'll remind you who the character is. He'll put you in the setting right away. He'll remind you of any details you need to know. And he always keeps the story going. I feel like when I read books like even Wheel of Time or Malazan or um, you know any other big epic series, you kind of have to be like, wait, where? I need to go into the back. I need to get to the, the annex here and, and re- remind me who this character is. That, that never mm. happened once in this yeah. book. And, and I think a large part of that is just Sanderson as an author like we've always said is so aware of the reader experience it's incredible and that's interesting because like you alluded to earlier there are different levels that you can read these books at one is Mm -hmm. kind of like the surface level reader let's call this reader my dad who (laughs) Steven's dad (laughs) he likes the books but is you know unaware He, he hasn't read any other Sanderson only vaguely aware that a Cosmere is a thing that he should care about and, and, and doesn't really care about it, but he just likes the characters and the story. And then there's the readers that are like us who are real into all the tidbits and like, Oh, what does this little uh, chapter summary snippet mean in terms of the larger context of the Cosmere and all, all of this. So it's amazing that he can keep both level of reader involved. For sure. And to his credit around that, I I just came off reading another behemoth of a book, uh, The Prior of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. Oh, yeah. Right, you know, this is you. a, uh, oh, well, I, I don't want to distract from this, but I'll, I'll ask you your thoughts uh, mm. off the air after. But sure. I'll say I was very ambivalent about the book. There's a lot that she does really well, but something that uh, didn't work as well for me. It's like an 800 plus page book. And I could not follow all the different characters that well at all. And she even had one of these 
character list things in the back like appendix i was going back to i Mm. still was like oh my god who is this person and there are probably less characters in that book than there are in the way of kings and the book is uh, hundreds of pages shorter and at the same Mm. time i never have an issue following which characters which what they're up to Mm. you know like what their rank is all that kind of stuff because sanderson's writing style is just so clear and he has this ability with his minor characters to always like give them some sort of hook about them that's memorable so i think of something like like well my favorite uh, minor characters or side character maybe is better for him is like rock and just the yeah. way that he speaks, and he's always saying, like, mm-hmm. this thing is not, like, uh, a thing that one should do, is, like, the, he keeps <laughs> right. saying this thing, you know? <laughs> or it's something, like, in, in Mistborn, not that says it's a minor character, but says it's always, like, I think. It's, yeah, like, right. Sanderson just has this ability to uh, remind you through ticks and character yeah. traits, these mm-hmm. cues, that, oh, this is that character. He's just... I don't know. It's brilliant. I don't know exactly how he does it, but I know I'm never confused when I'm reading. I think another thing he does really well to establish characters is yes, he creates really complex, cool characters with interesting motivations and all that stuff, but he starts it off pretty simple. Like he says, Mm -hmm. he, he just kind of sets up a character almost as like an archetype or, you know, here's your thief character. Here's your heretic character. Here's your priest character, whatever. And then from there, he builds on to the, the layerings and he, he reminds you of who it is, but it's a slow burn of adding on additional things. So when you go back to him, you're not like, oh, what are the 20 details I need to know? It's like, here's what I need to know. And then let this chapter, let me add one more thing and one more thing. And then yeah. let me remind you. And then let me add one more. Right. And, and he recontextualizes so well from book to book from chapter to chapter whatever so that the whole time you can follow really well that's so true the way he's able to parcel out information is fantastic and it's it's like you said it's not that it's any more or less complex in nature than wheel of time malazan another epic series but he always makes it seem simple and then layers it on i agree completely it, it it's really a craft i also you know something that surprised me for a book this big was like when you think about the action and what actually happens in this book it's actually surprisingly contained i feel like unlike say Mistborn or another work of sanderson's this book was very introspective and mm-hmm. I, I kind of wrote in our discussion topics, like this idea of all the like action and tension, like I'd say 80% of it is coming internally from characters worrying about stuff. And it's a very philosophical book, which surprised me. Yeah. I, I never thought of Sanderson as like this philosopher, but he's like, what is a human life worth? You know, so you're like, damn, okay, Sanderson, yeah. Yeah. like let's explore that. And he takes a lot of time with that. Certainly you get the payoff of exciting action sequences and he always knows when to, kick it up but i mean most of the times we're in these characters heads like kaladin is just suffering internally this whole time and that's mostly what's driving his plot forward it's a fascinating way to tell an epic fantasy story it's so much like lord of the rings or something where it's like oh no the 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 ring wraith is here we got to move to this area and no now these guys are here we got to move to this area but kaladin's like sitting in a cage just thinking that for chapters Mm -hmm. and chapters and you're like this Mm -hmm. is a 
truly fascinating way to 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 bring excitement and energy towards the story. I don't know if you guys would agree with me on that. Hundred percent. Yeah, very philosophical and very psychological as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kaladin struggling with depression throughout this whole book, and he's he's this he has this tendency to ruminate, to get self defeating, and at the same time, he's this incredible leader who's capable of so much and he's really been beaten down by his life to the point where i mean we get this scene where he's uh, like uh, sitting on the edge just thinking about uh, dying by suicide mm-hmm. and the only thing that saves him is still coming by and giving him poison but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like ironically uh, yeah <laughs> so uh say like, oh that's that was a nice gesture not you know, I actually should not be messing around with this stuff because I'll die. But I get where you're going with that. So it's uh, very kind of you. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, we dive into these moments. And, and the biggest moments in the book for me are these character growth moments. And it's kind of uh, even the magic system is kind of built around that. Right. When these characters come to a realization where they understand Kaladin, for example, uh, on his way into fighting for Dalinar's troops at the end, mm-hmm. he figures out the words he's supposed to say and he figures out that still is an honor spread and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when he says that, that's the big moment that sends right. him in there. So I think it's like even the magic system, you level up when right. you have a personal <laughs> growth moment. Uh, yeah, it's built around this right? more. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In the psychology world. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so during, during those moments, yeah, it's a great book. I've actually had uh, people who are therapists tell me that they'll recommend their uh, clients read oh, really? these yeah. books. Nice. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, very folks don't know. I'm uh, I'm currently getting my PhD in counseling psychology, so I'm kind of kind of mm. in that in that field, and it's a great it's a great portrayal. And I'll say also, on the note of Kaladin as someone dealing with depression, there's another character in Mistborn. I won't say who because it's it's later in the series that kind of like deals with depression, where it is widely considered not as satisfying the way that uh that character uh, yeah, is yeah, yeah. yeah like dealing with that is written but Kaladin it's written so well so props to Sanderson for for that growth Kaladin especially is kind of the character of this book we get all of his backstories Charles did you find as you were reading that those backstories really helped with some of these payoffs that we all agree are so cool yeah, I enjoyed. Or, I should say, I should say, it. flashbacks. Did I say backstories? Flashbacks yeah, is the back, said, same yeah, thing. I, I yeah. did, they're close enough to me. You know, the back, the, the use, like the using the timeline to tell a narrative has always been one of my personal, like, whatever. Like, can't you just tell me beginning to end? But I did enjoy <laughs> wow. getting to learn more about Kaladin, and I definitely think, like you were alluding to, Stephen, this is Kaladin's book. Uh, you know, it, just because he does the most and we get into his backstory and all of that. And yeah, I love that. So you didn't find, so one thing that I thought I've always loved about the book is the way the structure of the flashbacks um, of of taking you at the beginning Mm -hmm. up to the point where he's super awesome. And then next chapter, he's a slave. And so as a reader, it's so jarring, like what just happened? You know, why? Right in this position and you don't find out until way you know close to the end of the book and I thought that single thing 
was enough of a conflict to just like drive me through all of these pages of him just sitting around in the slave cart and moping around and stuff. Because the whole time I'm like, what in the world happened to take right. him from awesome to slave and, and, and that. And then the final reveal is so satisfying to figure out, but also so infuriating right? oh, yeah. to learn right. about. Right. And that's going to, you know, further drive the plot yeah. into the future as well. Yeah. That's well said. I, I mean, know that whole time I was sitting there being like, what did Kaladin do <laughs> to, yeah. to fall from mm. grace? <laughs> and he'll say, because uh, people ask him, he'll say things like, uh, yeah, light eyes don't like when you turn down a gift that they offer you. So you kind of get these hints. It's like, well, mm-hmm. okay, what, what happened? And you know, everyone's been talking over and over again about this, like, oh, if you killed a, sh- uh, you kill someone with a shard blade, then you win the shard blade and now you're light eyes. <laughs> and you do also know that there is a shard bearer like coming into the fight when Kaladin was, uh, you know, uh, in his mm-hmm. awesome Kaladin soldier mode in the beginning. So you can start to piece some of that together, but uh, you never could have figured out that Amaran reveal where he, that's just a savage moment. I mean, straight out of like a Joe Abercrombie book almost yeah. where he's just like, uh, this guy just got his life saved by Kaladin and then he kills all of Kaladin's remaining friends in front of him <laughs> and like, you know, totally messes with the story. So it seems like he won the, um, he won the shard blades crazy so uh, i love them i like the way the flashbacks work with, with that kind of stuff that's a huge reveal that Amaran one's so good come on charles <laughs> hey i liked it and like i said it, like it's the way you know this book is driven there's very key moments of physical action in this book and it and so the it's surprisingly sparse but I, it didn't leave me wanting more it's just that the moments that he chose to have action were just that much more impactful and the rest of the time they're pondering like what mm. is the right way to take action you know that they, they're suffering over like you know when do I try and rush in and save somebody? When do I let somebody die? When do I let it go? When do I take action? All these things. And you're just trying to do the right thing. Like Kaladin was trying to save someone because he knew he could. He didn't want to leave people behind. Then he felt guilty about killing someone. And then he gets betrayed. You know, it's like all that from one piece of action of him fighting that um, shard bear. So to me, Mm -hmm. that's always the driving point of fascination and I, and I think kind of keeping that back until maybe like 75% into the book where you didn't know how betrayed he really was like we know he just hates light eyes just totally has nothing to can't stand him but you don't really fully appreciate why and until that reveal and I think by waiting until kind of towards the end of his arc to do that was an interesting choice and an important choice because you needed to be a bit more unbiased to to gauge Kaladin's actions and then right at that reveal is when he decides he's going to help another light eyes you know right after that and that is a very important like one than the other because that just makes Mm. the action of saving Dalinar that much more great point he's ready to get hurt again basically (laughs) he's putting himself (laughs) out there And it makes the, it also then gets juxtaposed against Dalinar's decision to give up a a shard blade, which is Mm -hmm. like the exact opposite 
um, he gets saved by someone giving up a shard blade instead of getting screwed over by someone taking a shard blade. Mm-hmm. So uh, all that juxtaposition, we don't get that without the use of this uh, uh, flashback stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, well said, Charles. Yeah, yeah that's part of why I love it. Charles, did you think as after the, the whole tower climax and everything as they were trudging back, did you foresee a uh, somewhat of a, a happy ending to the book? Like, did you did you <laughs> see the downer might step in and save Kaladin? Yeah. Because there, there's a sense of dread here after the right. big heroic moment. Mm-hmm. I'll say this about Sanderson. I'm almost always expecting some sort of satisfying, I'm using air quotes, um, payoff, generally happy ending. So I was pretty confident that this book wasn't going to end in complete despair. (laughs) And so I was like, I wonder what moment of like, like heroics are going to happen at at the end of this book. You know, I I couldn't foresee necessarily who was going to save who, but um, I I think we were waiting for that moment of heroism. But what this book does that makes it so unique to me compared to other fantasy books I've read is that you know Kaladin will save the day, but Sanderson never lets Kaladin or Dalinar or Shallan off the hook for any action that they take, even the heroic mm-hmm. ones. And I, and I that's what makes this book a bit more modern feeling to me and a bit more unique to compared to other Sanderson works. Is he's like Kaladin, you just like saved everybody. He's like, yeah, but I saved ten people and killed like. 30 people on the on the opposing side and I actually kind of liked them just by the way they were showing me honor in the battlefield mm-hmm. like was it worth mm-hmm. killing this person to save that person did I do the right thing like I'm happier but was that like virtuistically the right thing to do you know mm-hmm. he, he's still not sure and he ends the book not being sure the only piece he can find is when he's eating stew with his friends which i appreciated quite a bit but that's the interesting thing for me it's like he's heroic but he's also still not sure and this book constantly has this theme of honor and the value of human life that it's constantly going back and forth it's like can you be heroic without also being kind of hypocritical at the same time and that that to me is the more fascinating piece like he is heroic but he still doesn't get off that easy. He still has to suffer internally over being heroic. I think that almost gives it an element of, I know this term gets overused, but it's a little grim dark where mm-hmm. there's no absolute moral right or wrong, but it feels different than the books that are more classified as grim dark, like the, uh, like the Mark Lawrence, the, the broken empire trilogy, or like Abercrombie who we all love, but because with Sanderson, there's like this, there's always this feeling of hope underneath it yeah. all. Like things are going to work out in some way. It's and bad things may happen, but ultimately, like right will prevail somehow. You know, bad things will happen, but but we are going to win. Mm-hmm. Right with Abercrombie, it's more of like, is anyone ever right here? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's something that I do appreciate about Sanderson and we're, we're big grimdark fans, but Mm -hmm. when you start reading a ton of grimdark, it is nice to read Sanderson and have someone who's just like uncynical and willing to have heroic people do heroic things. 
And I know for me, moments like when Kaladin and the bridge crew go back and save Dalinar, moments like where Dalinar or gives up Oathbringer because it's an honorable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of payoff there. And you don't want that to be the only thing that any characters ever do. You don't want just be heroes doing heroic things. But Sanderson makes them earn it. Uh, Sanderson also has characters that, you know, uh, are more morally gray, but are real heroes in the book. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're true heroes. Right. They have faults, but uh, they do the noble thing. And mm-hmm. I, I do really like that. It feels like old school fantasy, but with a with a modern feel to it. <laughs> I agree. I, that's interesting. And Stephen, the comparison to Grimdark is interesting because it's like Dylan was saying, it's like there are heroes, but where the Grimdark kind of element comes in is that being a hero isn't that easy and there is a cost to it. And what I like about this book, you know, it's say we love Grimdark, but it's almost like, oh, if you're being good, you're being naive. And if you're being mm. bad, you're being practical. You know, it's kind of like mm. the Grimdark yeah, way. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's like, all they want to do is do good. They just don't know how. And they mm. can't, they never feel like they've really done a good job because there's always a price or a cost or it has to involve killing. It's like, they, all mm-hmm. I want to do is protect my friends. Like, that's like, why is that so hard? And, and they struggle with being heroes. And anytime they try and do something heroic, they end up, you know, killing a bunch of people on the enemy side. And, that to me is where the unique flavor of this book comes in and it's like yeah it's you it's it's more honest too it's not just some like satire on the classic good versus evil it's like this is good versus yourself (laughs) it's like good Mm -hmm. versus your internal monologue because mm-hmm. when you're in a position of power, you have to make tough choices and then you have to live with those tough choices. And I think Kaladin and Dalinar are the ones that really show that the most. And you get some really great quotes out of it. Kind of this whole idea of like paying it forward business. Like you have to be the good you want to see in the mm-hmm. world. There's one line that I love. Um, Strength does not make one capable of rule. It makes one capable of service which mm-hmm. is such a good line. And it's like, yeah, we are powerful to protect others. And sometimes that means, you know, doing things we don't like to do and weighing these heavy costs. I, there's also a line somewhere about like, of like the common man saw their king doing work, then they might appreciate the hard decisions that the ruler has mm-hmm. to make that is more, you know, mental because they have to make these tough decisions. I kind of forget the quote, but it's permeated throughout the whole story. And that to me is like the fascinating uniqueness to the, the tone of this book. Mm, yeah, I do love that scene where Dalinar goes out and he just starts <laughs> doing labor himself. He's, <laughs> he's doing it with like his chart blade and stuff. If I remember like, these are good correctly. for more than just killing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Isn't he yeah. like digging I, a latrine pit or something like that? It's something something like that. along it's those like lines. A wall. Yeah, he's digging like, a trench like, of some kind. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah just you know like blue collar work and he's out there doing it and he is thinking through this like okay we have some of the most amazing technology in our hands with these sharp plates sharp blades it's like all we use them for is killing other people 
Mm-hmm. Why imagine if we used all of them to actually build and create and all this kind of stuff. And he's just one guy out there making very little difference when he's doing that. We're actually like, actually, Dalinar, you're your best used elsewhere right now. <laughs> uh, I do think like Navani comes up to him and she's like, what are you doing there? He's like, I, I need to build things. I, I don't like, Please lead you your just army. needed to think for a while. <laughs> right. <some> space. <laughs> but yeah, it does. It does have those elements too and those philosophical things that I know Charles was talking about. And uh and yeah, and we get Taladin with the like, can you protect people by killing people? Like that's the golden question that he's grappling with throughout this whole book. And again, we don't we don't get that answered. It's mm. more questions than answers. Yeah, the question of the greater good is something that comes also with Teravangian, who I think uh, mm-hmm. Charles, you don't know a whole lot yet about, but you kind of get a sense that um, there's something going on there. The epilogue is. Right from the epilogue about yeah. his mm. uh, his intentions, and it is very like Machiavellian how he speaks mm-hmm. about the um, uh, like because he's the one who he sent Seth to go right. kill all those oh, leaders. Right, right, right. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, and he is trying to justify his actions, and he is putting himself in the role of the hero of his own story. So I do always appreciate when villains do that yeah and he's yeah. like i'm trying to stop the world from ending you know we're all gonna die anyway so mm-hmm. like, okay not a bad point i suppose and <laughs> as you read it goes against the philosophy yeah go ahead Stephen. oh well as you read more you'll continue to learn more about him and you'll recontextualize more about some other characters that uh might might surprise you but i think really kind of lends itself to this discussion of like what is a hero what is a villain mm-hmm. can you be both how does that how do you how do you justify that in your mind it's the, the one thing about sanderson is like every book you read of his it always recontextualizes the previous books yeah. and character and what you've read before and that makes it always exciting because it just blows your mind every time right <laughs> yeah, yeah it's out of control There's... how much he, he, you can get out of a reread of this and like even just reading straight through and how he continues to develop and pile on and weave and uh, like this other theme that he keeps weaving in is this idea of honor to me it's so fascinating to see the honor that you know uh Kaladin is learning from his father about like we help mm-hmm. people even though they hate us you know you have to start with mm-hmm. an act of like unreciprocated kindness to get the ball rolling and all of that and then you have Dalinar and the air quotes honor amongst all the high princes who are like, oh, mm-hmm. the honorable thing is to, you know, pr- pr- like prance onto the field and win your shard plate. It's like that will be honored uh-huh. to your house, you know, so and, and, and the way that those two things like kind of duel each other and then how Kaladin, you know, brings a bridge forward together by just like setting a good example for the team. And it's like, hey. I'm going to start exercising and I'm going to start, you know, training and I'm going to start like healing people and rescuing the wounded and this and that. And the way he's just able to become a leader through that, I thought was just a great underused theme and talk about building up a hero, you know, mm-hmm. it's like what better way than through like through pure virtue of just setting a good example. And you root for Khaled. And even when he 
kills a whole bunch of people. So they're, they're the enemy side, though, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, but it, it does come with more complexity, like we've talked about, and does come with Kaladin at least ruminating about whether putting a target on it was back. right yeah and we're and that is to us we we're, we're talking a little bit off the air about this uh charles and i were before you got here steven and uh, we're talking about the growth of sanderson in that greater moral complexity around the actions of his heroes and i was like yeah it's a it's a lot different than from in Mistborn where it's like, yeah, Vin, just kill him. Kill them all. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> and the theme in Mistborn like, was trust yeah. in your friends. <laughs> trust in your uh-huh. friends and kill the rest. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, now even even the Parshendi who, at, at you know, right now they are, you don't really know what's going on with them. You don't really know what's going on with the parchment. You do get the reveal from Yasna where she's like, they're the void bringers, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But you, you really don't know what's going on, but you get these moments from both Dalinar and Kaladin's perspective where they're killing them and they're like, these are not just like, for yeah. lack of a better way, they, it. they're they not just seem orcs. to have. They have more honor yeah. than the high princes do, it seems. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even like the, you know, you've got Sadius just leaving Dalinar to die. All his mm-hmm. troops just going After away. He saved and, his life. Like, yes. And he's just looking back and he's like, oh, bye, old friend. And <laughs> then we we've do. got, <laughs> <laughs> then we've got this moment with the Parshendi shard bearer where they're like saluting each other at the end, like good fight, uh, respect, see you next time. <laughs> so it's, it, you know that there's more going on there. You just don't know exactly what at this time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Sanderson humanizing this other side. And even though they aren't, you know, they aren't human. Well, mm-hmm. we're used to a lot of these from Will of Time, it would be like Trollocs or from Lord of the Rings, orcs, like, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, the Parshendi, there's more going on than that. We just, at this point, wouldn't know exactly what. Well said. Yeah. If you're looking for a good quote about honor, Charles, just wait for the next book. <laughs> I, I was so I had to not say it when he was oh, talking about honor. honor. I was quote like, coming up, huh? Yeah, I was like, well, Charles, <laughs> <laughs> insert here. All our, probably our the most, like, probably the most quotable line in the series yeah. to date. Wow. And it's in the next. Book. Uh, it's a chills moment. It yeah, is in the but, next book. Oh, nice. yes. I, I can just tell that that's a big theme that he's really thinking about. And I, I don't even know when he's written this book. I mean, Sanderson, you know, has all his good hooks plotted out and everything. But I feel like part of the secret sauce to this is I, I'd be curious to see what he says. But I feel like he hasn't quite ever solved it. It sounds like one of those unsolvable philosophical things that he keeps waffling back and forth on about honor versus doing the right thing versus being a hero and that's what keeps you drawn in and that's what keeps the tension of this book going because dylan it's like you said the the breakthrough moment wasn't kaladin killing the parshendi it was right before where he realizes that he has to go and save dalinar that that's the right thing to do that is the climax and then the resulting action of him going and saving him was almost secondary to the 
you know, the psychological breakthrough that he went through. So yeah. I, I think that to me is one of the more brilliant things, at least thematically about this book. And I can tell that he's going to be pontificating on some of these themes, philosophizing on these things for thousands of pages. <laughs> <laughs> thousands sure. of pages yeah well, i think yeah. we did a good job covering kaladin and dalinar um i think we should move on to the other side of the map here and talk about shallan a bit uh she didn't get too much love in our like character like who's your favorite character <laughs> we did she was a clear today. third uh i mean kaladin swept dalinar yeah second yeah. was this just through way of kings or just no in just general okay. Which series overall? So I, I'll read now. We've got 14 hours left uh, as of the time this recording. It'll be like mm. a month ago or whatever <laughs> by the time this airs. But it was just who is your favorite character in the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson? And I put Kaladin, Dalinar, Shallan, and I give an other for comment. And uh, for what's worth, I guess I picked uh, the three right ones because other only got 6.5% of the vote. But then Kaladin got 54.8% of the vote, That's over the half. Yeah. Dalinar, 28%. Shallan, 10.8%. So that doesn't I mean, surprise me. I have to say it. I do, it doesn't Shallan surprise me. Shallan, or what the only thing that surprises me is that Dalinar didn't do better, I guess. Like 28% for Dalinar compared to 50%. Five percent, basically, for Kaladin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would have had Dalinar at maybe thirty-five percent or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I wonder or if it's maybe. because you know the first book is so Kaladin; it yes, establishes yeah. him so much, mm -hmm. and he continues to be a favorite throughout. And and Dalinar, well, we know a significant amount about him at this point. We don't learn all of you know. We we don't get to know him his ins and outs until a little bit later in the series. Yeah. So. I wonder if people have already established Kaladin as their favorite character and nothing's really going to change that. I, I mean, for what it's worth, I would have voted Kaladin probably for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you've picked a yeah. favorite character after reading a thousand pages, you're probably pretty solidified in that. Mm -hmm. uh, but Dalinar is actually my favorite and I think he became my favorite uh, later on. In oh, so series. you you were able so, to rethink a little bit yeah okay but Props if, to you. it's shocking as someone who's only read not book one at this point yeah clear kaladin but that's just almost by default because we just get to know him so much yeah, better yeah. than me and he yeah. he's the driving force of the whole story so it's hard to find reasons to like you know some of these other characters more but i don't know shallan's story was always kind of fascinating because she knew she was going to do this betrayal that she was dreading. And that was kind of her, again, we're talking about this like internal conflict. It's certainly prevalent in her POV plot arc in this book as well. It's like 90% like, oh, I love to learn. And I really like uh, my teacher, Jasna, but I have to do this thing because of my family. And I have to, and I'm just dreading it and it's coming. And the more I stay mm -hmm. here, the more I like being here. And it's so, so problematic. You know, it's, it's her conflict and that's fun. It's entertaining. Yeah. I mean, Shalon, I think it's just, there's by far the least action going on and it's a yeah. lot of her kind of mm -hmm. studying and I, 
I think that the other thing about Shalon, I, I like Shalon. So, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't at me if you're a big Shalon person. Uh, I, I'm on your side here. But <laughs> one of the things that bothers me about her is we're just told over and over again how witty she is. And maybe if Sanderson didn't have every other character being like, oh, Shalon, <laughs> you're so clever. You're so witty and funny. Then I wouldn't have such a reaction. I'd actually like, oh yeah, like she's, you know, she's quippy. She's always saying some mm-hmm. funny, snarky uh-huh. stuff. But just the number of people that tell us how clever she is and how witty, it just gets on my nerves. And I'm like, okay, that's not actually that funny. So it's like, uh, that kind of annoys me about Shalon. It's not even a Shalon thing. It's what everyone else is saying about Shalon. And uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, that bothers me. Uh, I and I'm not. I know I'm not alone with that. And that's kind of a Sanderson thing is telling us how witty his witty characters are. I think Serene yeah. in uh, Elantris kind of gets that treatment as well. Um, so that, that part bugs me. So. Yeah, she does kind of come across maybe a little more of an archetype as like the plucky farm girl that's you know smarter than everyone else in her village, and here she is now like faced with some challenges and she's going to rise to the occasion you learn a lot more about her later on in the series so i i don't want to say she's a bad character but um i I do think some of the humor is not always my taste it's not quite as clever as like the abercrombie humor in in his books same stratosphere (laughs) no no it's it's not it's not not. the same but but it's like you've named the best guy in the genre Yeah. yeah At, at, when it comes to the funniest, that's, that's yeah. Fair. yeah, it's yeah, it's not great Abercrombie or Eames or anything. But but yeah. some people do like really love her humor, and you know if, if that's your preference, like all power to you. Um, for me, not always my favorite. Not, there's some stuff that Sanderson does that that really is funny that I'll laugh at, but there's yeah. some that's just kind of cringe, and Shalon has a lot of those cringe moments. Yeah, yeah, as much and- as I love to celebrate Sanderson as an author, one of the like flaws that I've started to pick up on, if you could even call it that, after reading a bunch of his books is whenever a character is supposed to be clever, they always just, every response they have is a, I'm going to do air quotes again, a witty, like, like quick snapback of like, oh, yeah. here's a clever thing that I'm going to say. And like, you can tell that, Sanderson's being as funny as he possibly can be when he writes those, but it's just like, oh, dude, come on. <laughs> like yeah, what I read, is yeah. it Warbreaker where they have the character that's like, um, oh, like yeah. a God. And like, he, every two seconds was like, Oh, I'm too drunk for this. Light or song, whatever this. Think, or like, right? Oh, being a God is so exhausting. Yeah. Lights <laughs> on. And you're like, okay, like chill with the late night material. <laughs> we get it. Like, you're the witty <laughs> character. Let's kind of get past that. You know, his way of expressing wit and cleverness is these quick response one-liners that comment on what the person just said and like turning it back on him. And you're like, yeah. uh, this again with with Shalon. And even like in the thing, it's Shalon is like, oh, I do that all the time, don't I? People say it's annoying. <laughs> and it's like, well, at least you're aware of it. Uh, mm. That helps. <laughs> That was like right in the beginning. And some people that's their humor and, and yeah. that's fine for me. I'm more of the, the sarcasm, the dry humor is, is yeah. really what kind of makes me chuckle. 
right? I, I think well, it's funnier when Rock is like making a rock too. soup. <laughs> like, like oh, that to yeah. me is funny. And like well, everyone's <laughs> asking, like, I know you put rocks in it, and he's like, How dare you? Like that's funny. <laughs> oh, Rock is really funny. I, I love Rock as a character, and just the ideas of Rock's culture are really funny just like uh, how, how he looks down on everyone for like even just that he thinks everyone's taking way too much oxygen down here i think is really funny just their sick lowlander joke always lands for me yeah but dylan you had some nice things you wanted to say about shalon yeah i mean i think that shalon shalon has some of the interesting uh you know, moral quandaries going on as well. A lot of them will, it's tough with Shalon because the, the next book is going to be uh, a much, yeah. much bigger one. There's a lot her. to kind of talk around in only this book. Yeah. She does uh, get but... the best kind of reveals in this, like set up payoff kind of reveals in this book, you know, when she learns mm. about Jasna's true nature of being able to transmute without the soul caster yeah. and then like uh-huh. there's an assassination uh-huh. and there's poison like that stuff is fat is fascinating and like that was some more of the intriguing action uh in the book so i i thought that was fun and i do like the idea of jasna as well being this basically straight up heretic who's um just going around dunking on everyone with her philosophy uh-huh. And, try, and Shalon's just that. trying to make some sort of relationship with her and she's just not capable of it. And like seeing that start to come together, it felt very honest and it got kind of sweet at the end too, the, about how yeah. uh, you start to see Jasna kind of let some walls down that she's had up for a very long time. So I thought that was a very interesting dynamic as well. And it hits back to the previous question of like, well, can we kill bad people? Because it's going to be mm-hmm. for the greater good when Yasna goes and just and awesome. assassinates all of the, were they thieves? What, what was like muggers. We don't exactly know yeah. what they were playing. We know at least they were going to steal from them and they're kind of mm-hmm. like, they might have killed us uh-huh. or, you know. Yeah. But, and Yasna's yeah. like, well, you know, they deserved it. And Shalon cannot get her head around it. And eventually that's what leads her to decide like, okay, now I can go ahead and, and commit this crime because, because Yasna herself is, you know, capable of this thing. And so therefore, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they complement each other and they have a lot to learn from each other where Jasna is like too logical and Shalon is like too naive. Ruled by emotions. Yeah. And and then they're just kind of somewhere in the middle is this well-adjusted human being. So (laughs) they're they're just supporting each other through that, I think. And they both see like what the other one has to learn and what they can teach each other and all that. They they see good things in each other. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that to me was a very strong part of of the Shalon arc was their relationship. That moment with Yasna killing those people, that's like by far the best scene in that whole, you know, in the Shalon point of view. Yeah, agreed. And I think, and one of the best in the whole book, I think. It's just, it kind of comes out of nowhere, it feels like, because up until that point, that side of the story had been so, I guess, tame. And then it's just like, oh my God, she just murdered like four people. And I think that, it's 
it is a great moment that illustrates that counterbalance that Charles is going on about where mm-hmm. Yasna is like, well, actually, if you look at these four philosophies, then uh, like I was justified in doing it in all of them. And Sean's like, yeah, but you just killed those people. Like, yeah. I, that's not right. Like, like we didn't I didn't know what they were going people. to do. They hadn't yeah. done anything yet. <laughs> they were just messing. Yeah. And the emotional side of Shalon and just kind of her, um, I don't know what to call it, like her intuition is like, no, I just watched people like go up in flames and die painful deaths. Like, I know that's not right. Yeah, like right. I, I'll look up all the philosophies and I'll, she's smart enough to understand like, oh yeah, if you do look through this lens, Yasna is justified for this reason. But she, she does just have that intuitive side that Yasna doesn't have as much where she's like, I still don't think you should go around murdering people. And <laughs> <laughs> you gotta respect that because uh, I mean it's complicated, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I would have been really distraught if I was in Shalon's point of view. There, thing I would to not like, for sure. Yasna was not Yasna was not bugged at all. She just went yeah. out with the intention of doing that. She's so. like, oh, that made total sense. <laughs> it's like no wonder you're alone. <laughs> Logic. <Jeez. laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I do love how I think I love that Sanderson, you know, we, we know Sanderson's a very religious guy himself. And uh, I think his willingness to try to like take on Yasna's point of view around religion and uh, like give it its due rather than, you know, projecting his own views and like straw manning her, mm-hmm. like making her uh, like be wrong. It's like, no, she's, super smart and uh, like here's how she would see all those things and you, know, you might not agree but uh, she's very good at justifying her points I, I respect that a lot from Sanderson he's really yeah props mm-hmm. to him yeah yeah for sure he's always really good at, at taking an honest look at whatever point of view that his character is coming at and doing so many different types of characters and and sometimes he does it by like doing research and gathering opinions from people in real life that he knows which just makes it seem super realistic so yeah major major props there um with the yasna action scene i guess it kind of parallels or it's a little similar to the opening sequence with zeth where he's showcasing Mm. the magic yasna's showcasing the magic in a different way both are killing people and, and kind of setting up this question of you know like what is what is right, what is honorable, et cetera. Um, and I think doing both of those things is another thing Sanderson does really well of, you know, the, we've heard it a lot, but the show don't tell type, uh, mm-hmm. type uh, entry into the magic system, because we don't want to sit around and have you tell us all about, you know, here's the way that the magic works as I open up to page one of the textbook, <laughs> but you can see directly and you, you get more of an explanation with what Zeth is doing than what Yasna is doing mm-hmm. so yeah. far. And so Charles, I'm right. guessing you kind of, you, you have an inkling that there's a lot more complexity to this whole Yeah, I can tell thing, that but... there's a ton of stuff going on with this magic system. Like there's like an appendix at the end of the book that goes into <laughs> this balances out with this and can transmute this. I'm like, none of this happened in this book. I have <laughs> yeah. no idea what he's like. Right? What, is, right? what does blood have to do with this, have to do with that? And, and you know, it, 
I can tell that there's a lot more to come, but these I know what I need to know to appreciate the story so far, and I'm very happy with that. And it's like you said, you have the Zeth uh, Jasna doing similar things. Um, and yeah, I think you know to, to, to pile on about Sanderson's ability to have these kind of, like Dylan was saying that word counterpoints, it, it, it's textbook Sanderson, even the magic systems have pushes and pulls and opposites and stuff. And I, and I think the way he approaches characters is the same way. It's like, no character is going to be like the preachy, always right straw man person. It's like the, the, um, counterpoints around them or in their own characters what makes them a character so i don't think he would ever fully buy into one idea for for a character and i I, that's all these characters in this in this book i think are are great and well thought out there's no one i really have a problem with even like shallan's brothers who are the obvious bad guys it's like it's, this verb he was pontificating while torturing an animal pulling off legs one by one i'm like okay sanderson i get it he's the bad guy yeah. <laughs> you know sanderson's very good at making a character very obviously the bad guy it's i don't know if there's going to be anything good about him we'll see but uh i can, can kind of tell that he's just an all-around unpleasant human being but you know he's the way he, they describe him like a ripping legs off of crabs and like some don't are too small to have the satisfying like pop of the leg coming off so he needs to find a bigger animal and pull that one off i'm like dude this is gnarly stuff you get a sense that shalon comes from a pretty messed up background (laughs) yeah props to shalon for being as well adjusted even as she is (laughs) right well it sounds like the way he wrote it is like she was kind of shielded from the abuse of the dad so that's why her brothers are more messed up than her, I think was kind of like what they were getting at. Mm. We don't know the full story, but I kind of picked up on those details a bit in his chapters of like, yeah, Shalon was just locked away, but we bared the grunt of his, mm. his uh, bad deeds. Well, read and find out. Charles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will read and find out for sure. So Rafa, we- as the kids say. Yeah, beyond the raffle. I think I heard Michael Kramer say that once somewhere. Uh Somewhere, somewhere. (laughs) May have been the Phantology intro. I don't know. (laughs) But it might be confusing it because that's his most noteworthy work. You know, people attribute uh, the quotes to the uh most noteworthy. Yeah, Uh if there was like an IMDb page for fantasy audiobook narrators, Michael Kramer's would be like, you know, uh, Wheel of Time, Phantology, Way of Kings, and like their known yeah. for section, <laughs> the known and then for. you scroll through, and then there's like 200 other things. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, he did Mistborn too. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we need like the international uh-huh. fantasy audiobook narrator database. <laughs> Someone's got to make that. <laughs> Actually, we really it. do. There, there are times where I listen to a narrator. I'm like, this guy's awesome. Or or, this woman's awesome. I want to hear more Mm -hmm. of their work. And uh, I don't know if there's a way to easily look that up. Someone's got to make sure ifandb.com is available. (laughs) So you can snag that (laughs) URL. It really rolls off the tongue. (laughs) Really rolls off the tongue. That's a winner. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I think we've covered Shalon. For the sake of time, we, we can move on to the last like main POV character who is Zeth. Zeth to me, you know, Stephen, you were talking about in the beginning how Sanderson slowly rolls out 
the facts you need to know about the greater world building that's going on. I always felt like Zeth was the opportunity to remind the reader, like, hey, reader, remember, there's a greater story going on here. Like, mm. don't forget, yeah. like, you spent a lot of time with Kaladin just now, but here's Zeth doing using mysterious powers to kill someone mysteriously. Like, there's so much more intrigue going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. That's kind of always how I felt Zeth's role was in this story. I think that's a good way to put it. That and the, the interludes in general, although those maybe we're more of like here is the world not necessarily like right. there's a big conflict in the world it's just kind of more like a showcase of different areas which are maybe not always super interesting but zeth is, yeah that's a good way to describe it and it's interesting that it comes right after the prelude to right. the entire stormlight archive which is yeah. very much i mean i hate to say it's info dumpy but it kind of is like we don't know exactly what's going on. There's these mysterious people with huge blades and this big war has just ended. And so you're just like, what is this? And maybe it's not info dumpy because we don't get any info really dumped to us, but mm-hmm. it, it makes it seem really kind of like a formidable book to jump into. It's almost like this could be an intro to a, a Malazan book, but yeah. then the next chapter is like, okay, here's this one guy doing cool stuff with magic mm-hmm. and a really concentrated scene. Right. I think that's well said, you know, because none of the POV characters are really magical. Uh, Kaladin, you discover, has these magical abilities at like the end of the book. But Zeth is really the only one that's showing us like the full potential of what's going on in terms of the magic system in the series. So it's always kind of like this harbinger of, oh, that's some really neat stuff that none of our pov characters are really even know exists and then mm-hmm. of course you know the inciting incident of this whole thing was when zeth killed gavilar at the beginning and that mm-hmm. starts the war with the parshendi and all of that so um it was kind of like this inciting incident that creates this whole thing for all the other characters so there is this bigger world building piece to everything that Zeth does. And it's kind of like, who is he? Where is he from? Who contracted him? Why is he killing these people? Like, you know, all, all of these, like, what does he even do? He's like running on the ceiling and like killing a hundred guys. It's like, what is going on? And then we're back to Kaladin in in a cage, thinking about life, you know, collecting flowers. It's like, we are all over the place, but it, it always it always comes in at the right moments, I think, to like pep up the action, yeah. especially in the beginning of the book. So it's something that Sanderson likes to do is kind of introduce the, like, this is what you can be capable of with the magic system, but our, our main characters aren't really there yet. And yeah, yeah, or at least our, yeah. So it's almost like at the beginning of video game where they'll do a, tutorial sometimes where you're like not even the actual character that you're going to be playing as but you're someone who's already got like all the things you're gonna unlock later on Mm -hmm. you know that and you kind of go around you learn the like you learn how to do all this stuff and then Mm -hmm. it's like okay but now you're back to this level one person like oh man (laughs) exactly exactly it's like that's the purpose that Seth seems to serve here is to remind us obviously there's a lot of other things that he does in the plot but early on I think that he's just kind of like here's what we're capable of we'll get there eventually like I'm gonna write up uh, you know I'm gonna write 10 of these books 
so if, if the way of kings was a video game you'd start with zeth and you just wreck a bunch of stuff and then it would show the opening credits and then you are called and it's like use the r stick to walk around objective collect 20 <laughs> right. flower uh-huh. poison flowers you're like oh what exactly. we, we, we're just doing the cool thing now i'm collecting yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah uh he does it kind of with uh with kelsier too early on um, oh right right. Mistborn, right like he's just going around doing all this and you know not spoiling mistborn this is like one of the first few scenes of the mm. thing is Kelsier mm-hmm. uh, just going around using his powers doing awesome stuff and uh you know although that's even a little more off ca- that's a little that. more off camera that intro does- with, with Kelsier yeah well there's like the prologue is off camera but yeah. then maybe it's not the first few scenes but pretty early on yeah um, once the there's once the training where, type yeah. yeah yeah there's some like yeah. heist situation where he goes full power yeah. so yeah and that part it kind of like the Seth thing thing is like we know our main character isn't capable of doing this stuff yet but it's exciting to see it kind of in action and mm-hmm. then we get hopes of all this stuff going on and maybe even people fighting against each other who are both using these kind of things so it's like yeah yeah that kind of stuff is cool to think about. and and it it helps you understand what Kaladin is going through even before Kaladin himself understands because yeah. you're like wait a second I've seen someone else do something pretty similar to this okay i kind of get a hint yeah, of what Callan realizes he can make two things stick together and then you have cut to zeth who's running along the ceiling and like cutting a dude's head off you're <laughs> like, like okay what well, gravity <laughs> exactly so like, okay somehow oh those God. two things are related mm-hmm. yeah so yep zeth fascinating he's cool too with the he's... like the philosophical stuff we should say like the total mm-hmm. truthless thing where he's mm-hmm. like i hate everything that i'm doing right now like i i'm not a bad person like i just really stick to these ideals to the point where i can't disobey what all these awful people are telling me but i really abhor all the things that i'm doing right. and there's a moment too in i think his last scene with uh Teravangian mm-hmm. and he's like I could just kill him. He's like, of course, it's like, of course, Seth didn't do that. Right. Uh, like, even in the prose, it says, like, of course, he didn't do that. But it's like, he's weirdly aware, like, you know, technically, if I go against everything I know about how I'm supposed to live as a truthless person, like, I could just kill this guy right now and it'd probably make things better. But he doesn't do mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. it's it's cool to be in his head. He's kind of grappling with that. Wasn't Tara Vangian even saying that Seth was being like way underutilized or something as an assassin? Yeah. Yeah. Was that and that was something? Because again, it goes to show you like how disconnected modern civilization is from like the impending doom that's coming based on the old magic. You know, this is another very mm-hmm. Sanderson esque thing of like this was stuff that's been kicked off generations ago. And you're so detached from it, you don't even recognize as a society what's happening to you. And mm. and Zeth plays a large part in us keeping that in our minds as well of like, wow, this is an old magic that's being totally misused and unrealized right. and all of that. And Dalinar's visions really help with that as well. You see yeah. enough little snippets of like, here's what used to be possible. And it's so much cooler than what you primitive people are doing now. Right. right. Yeah. And that's interesting because we, at the end of Zeth's arc, when he meets 
King Teravangi and, and tries to assassinate him. And then it's revealed that he was the mystery master uh, mm-hmm. that he had this secret hospital where he was killing people and mm-hmm. recording their last words. But he also adds Dalinar to his kill list, yeah. which is like, ooh, yeah. spicy. And then you have... Um, you have um, Shalon and Jasna being like, oh, let's go meet my uh, uncle, Dalinar. And you're like, oh, my God, everyone's connected to Dalinar right now. And they're all going to converge, potentially. And it was the, mm-hmm. another interesting uh, connection of how Zeth is going to tie a bit more directly into the narrative, I think, with some of our yeah. POV characters uh, in the future. One thing that I always love in these types of books are the crossovers in the POV characters, mm-hmm. especially when they, especially when the reader knows more about them than the characters themselves do, because yeah. then it just kind of creates for some like, oh, I, I figured this out or oh, this is funny type of moments for the readers. Mm-hmm. And one criticism I could see of this book is you don't get too many of those. Yeah. The only times are really like with yeah. Kaladin and Don are because their, their viewpoints are together and with Adolin, I suppose, but um mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's one of the payoffs of an epic fantasy series, right? You have these huge characters and then they have their little like uh, collabs every once in a while, their crossovers, right. like you said. And I feel like Sanderson's holding on to a lot of cards just because the scale of the series is, oh, yeah. My understanding going to be super big. So big enough that you don't need too many crossovers in the first a thousand pages you'll get them in the next couple thousand i guess yeah yeah (laughs) but on the bright side here we have characters actually like you said charles converging yeah for the end of book one where when you compare it to something like a song of ice and fire where or wheel of time where i think song of ice actually the characters are all i see where you're going sure but all the characters are actually kind of together, or at least a lot of the characters are together mm-hmm. early on in those series. And then it just starts spreading out and out and out and out and everyone's off doing their own stuff. And it's like, what is the story about now? And at least, I mean, it's another amazing thing of how Sanderson respects his readers and is such a great storyteller is he is actually already moving all of his characters in this epic fantasy toward each other to tell one story rather than like a bunch of disparate ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I really appreciate that. Song of Ice and Fire is a good uh, comparison. They're like through the first book, people are like, I've heard of Daenerys Targaryen. Like yeah. surely she couldn't be important at all. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And then you have characters who are like, oh, I'm going to go rescue these two characters. Like, you're going the wrong way. We've known this for about three books. <laughs> Turn around. Like, why are we reading this again? Uh-huh. Character will go unnamed for the sake of spoilers. But <laughs> my Game of Thrones people know who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, it, it's a good comparison. And Sanderson is, yeah, he he understands the reading experience better than anyone in the game, as far as I'm concerned. And so, like, that's his way of like hooking you into the next book is this you know who Dalinar is very well even if you haven't been paying very close attention so when everyone's like oh go get Dalinar you're like oh I see everyone's gonna gonna come together I I get Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very simple way that these guys but I imagine it's not gonna be simple on how they get there when they get there what they do when they get there but at least like we know the direction the book's going in and we 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 get it 
conceptually, mm-hmm. which is another wonderful way he balances the epic nature of the series while keeping the plot pretty simple. He always likes to do that. He gives you Sander Lanch, big climax, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. And then like, oh, what about this plot thread where there's actually more to it? Oh, what about this one and this one? Right. It's almost like, I mean, Return of the King movie doesn't quite, it, it, maybe not the greatest comparison, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of endings to all of his books. Yes. And most of them are hooks into the next thing. It's like, yeah, if you liked what I just wrote, <laughs> read my next book. And it's so be funny more. that you said so, that, because I was texting Dylan. I was like, there's a final chapter. That. There's an epilogue. There's an appendix. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on? And he was like, dude, isn't uh-huh. Lord of the Rings like your favorite series? They have like a thousand. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's I was trying fair. to say, too. I, I mean, I tend to like whatever this is toward the tail end of the episode no one's no one's made it this far so they're not gonna get mad at me when i say i'm not the hugest fan of that end of lord of the rings and like i think the sanderson ending here is much better than Mm. lord of the rings ending and i feel like what sanderson does is he finds a way to actually like show you clearly when things have wrapped up and then just give you that hook at the end mm-hmm. while lord of the rings is like wait is it over uh, like oh no 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 i guess what okay now there's ruffians like, what's going on with the ruffians it's like uh-huh. okay that's just, i mean that's not in the, oh, sorry that's that's not in the it's not in the return of the king movie to be fair you were talking about the movie but in the book it's like there's yeah, even more the books even more yeah yeah so it it's kind of like weird feeling like something feels a little bit off about the return mm-hmm. of the king ending for me but yeah Sanderson yeah. ending is like ooh, there's yeah, like, it's not near like the Sanderson ending is nothing near that style at all it's just kind of funny that it was like this book is so long and it's like you know oh it was what do they call them when they're in between parts they were like um the, like, interludes interludes interludes. Like, interlude six i'm like okay like what's <laughs> <laughs> how many inter- like that's a lot of interludes bro that's more than i've ever seen in a story in my life but uh, and it's he has the ending and the epilogue it's kind of funny i was like this book is like a thousand pages long is it gonna end but yeah he definitely indulges himself a bit here and and he's talked about this he's like i couldn't believe the tour went for this book because they've never published anything to this scale of like with all of the art inside of the book and mm the length and just the whole thing is it's like a big risk for them to publish mm. this book because if it doesn't catch on they've committed to you know a, a pretty like sizable chunk of their business that um isn't going anywhere but uh, i think wheel of time i i think he does credit like my ability to get in there and finish wheel of time really kind of sold it on them a bit and so yeah. the wheel of time contract was really what kind of springboarded this yeah. and made this and all he possible. wrote Mistborn, yeah. you know he, Right. I, I feel like Sanderson, right. I feel like that's a really great point, Stephen. It is a huge undertaking for any publisher. And, and to me, that just speaks to Sanderson's reputation and all the goodwill that he's bought just by being a fantastic storyteller and just an author that writes and puts out books yeah. and mm-hmm. delivers every single time. He's never not delivered. Like at worst, you're getting like a six and a half out of 10 experience at worst. He just delivers. Mm-hmm. And I think Stephen, you're also right where it's like, this is his baby. He's more self-indulgent in this than anything. And that's almost kind of what 
I'm excited to see is him not necessarily being like, okay, this is my tight, like three yeah. book trilogy. I set this up, I set it and I ended. And then they, the publishers take it and run with it. And it'll be great in paperback and this, that, and the other. He's like, you know, it's like, I'm just going to do whatever freak thing I can think of and experiment yeah. with and push <laughs> because this is cut. my creative liberties. <laughs> this is my anything goes and putting everything into this. I'm going to dump mm-hmm. anything into this. And there is no unabridged version. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is, there's it. no unabridged for there's only bridge. for. <laughs> right, oh. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. But a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of multiple endings, we've talked about all the main <laughs> characters. We've talked about Bridge Four. And here's a good question, guys. You can cut that, right, Charles? <laughs> it's all, it all stays. No it's no way. We don't cut on this show, <laughs> unfortunately for me. Unless it's a bad spoiler. We've cut sometimes, but that's really it. Uh, but I would Bad say, jokes stay. Bad jokes stay. Absolutely. Um Here's an interesting question that I think is good to pose at the end uh, or near the end of our uh, discussion. Mm. What is the talent that men value most, people? You know, we're uh, in the epilogue. This is the question that Wit poses to just some guardsmen. The answer, of course, is timeliness. Mm-hmm. So I think now is the time, you know, let th- this epilogue, right? I, I don't know if they explain who this guy is that stumbles into the courtyard. Cause I was kind of confused at who this was supposed to be. Uh-huh. Um, I don't. Does it I, not say they, Does it, I, doesn't it say, I do think they, he gives his name. I think but it's the name there's way some... back in the prologue. I think yeah. is where this name comes. He's one of I like uh-huh. the dudes, right? Like the original. You gotta connect yes. some dots. He's, it's not easy. He's a herald, right? Is that what he is? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. but th- that required some. Whoa, I got to go back like four. Yeah, it's like a thousand pages ago. Audio book yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But that uh, was the only thing that I could. Ma- but yeah, that was a little bit of. So I was like, "Who is this? Am I supposed to know?" Like, but it's fine that you don't know. No, there's plenty of time to. I mean, yeah, even it. if even if it was just a mysterious being, it's kind of cool, right? It almost feels like the mid credits trailer in a Marvel movie. You know, it's like you yeah. get the rolling credits <laughs> yeah. for like five minutes, and then it cuts to Wit talking to the guards, being like, "What to tell him?" And most this guy pops in. Like, Is oh, that Venom? Too late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that Venom yeah. at um? Oh gosh, what's that? place margaritaville <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah. that was uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> right no it's uh, uh yeah it's the kind of thing with as steven was saying you don't need to know everything about it, and it is sanderson so there's that trust that you've been For talking sure. about charles where it's just like yeah even yeah, if i, I don't know mean what's going that on right now in any way yeah. i was down with the whole thing yeah which uh I mean, it's a tough one. I don't know how far to go with wit uh, from a like, we're not trying to spoil it, anything in the Cosmere yeah, right, outside right, right. of um, Wave Kings, but just uh, wit's an interesting character to get. Yeah, He's an also, important character yeah. that yeah. Sanderson really likes. <laughs> yes. Right. And he does yes. give the name Hoyt at some point um, mm-hmm. in this book. So. He does. Yeah. He does. I, I, I was catching I, that. I can't say more, I guess. Some of the books that I have mm-hmm. read, I was like, oh, this is the thing that's happening. Okay. 
mm-hmm, because yeah. you know when you read all of these books a lot of them take place in the cosmere so these books are tied together somehow and uh yeah it's just fascinating to you don't really if we do the Stephen's dad level of reader, you may not understand that they're connected as part of the Cosmere. And I know I was that reader for a long time. It wasn't until I got into the podcasting game and researched Sanderson actively that I was like, Oh, and then I think he like, you know, sold the movie rights years ago for me, you know, became a millionaire doing that. And I was like, Oh dang. So the, for the Cosmere and I was like, what's the Cosmere? Oh, it's like all his books. Okay. (laughs) Got it. So. I actually don't know if he really made that. I, I don't think authors make a whole lot at the at the point that he sold it for. I think it's more just kind of like a studio snapping it up. I think he'll make a lot more if the movie actually gets made. Oh, fingers sure. like, he's I still doing think fine like it was a multi starter though. Yeah, let's be honest, he's, yeah, he's, he's doing he's okay. well beyond movie <laughs> deal money. He's got like pure unfiltered <laughs> Kickstarter money right to his I, bank account. So. This guy can just say, "Hey, fans, give me millions of dollars. I'll do some stuff, and they'll do it." And I mean, it's earned. Yeah. Uh, like this is a guy who, like we said, delivers every time. I have, you know, I've given money. There's a a project that like Maisie Williams, who played Arya in Game of Thrones, was like acting yeah. it. I I gave some money to uh, for like a Kickstarter thing. But it just never happened. So I was like, what what yeah. happened to my money here? So <laughs> <laughs> it was called like, uh, God, it was I, I don't know. But point being when you give money to Sanderson and one of those things, you know that it's going to a cause that will see the light of day. So, yeah. yeah. And to be fair, he's got a big company and employees and every it's, it's a, yeah, there's not many authors that are in this realm of things. And hopefully this money ends up, you know, getting him some clout and, and we do see the big cool film cinematic yeah. adaptation of the book we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. This would make a cool cool movie series for sure but it's Would so you, ambitious though you get to choose stormlight or mistborn or specifically for a movie yeah yeah movie that's even a tough question because i think he said that he prefers stormlight to be a, a mini series or or a tv it's series be, it would definitely right? work better it needs, on that. It needs yeah. more time mistborn makes okay, more stormlight sense a, let's go stormlight mini series and like give it what it would be better served as or a mistborn movie what would you rather and assume you know it's getting the right amount of funding to make it good and all that stuff. i'd rather have stormlight i having only read one stormlight book i still feel like stormlight's the answer because this is just sanderson's this is his pet I say pet project, but it's also like his prime, you know, this is the yeah. book that he has magnum gone out and said, this is that. my magnum opus. So you got to go for the ride on that one. And I love Mistborn. It would be a great action pack uh, thing to watch, but um, mm-hmm. it's just not at the same. There's not as much meat outside of action that way of kings hasn't already done more of in one book so mm. yeah that said i i would almost think that we get a mistborn movie first assuming we get both of course oh, yeah. in, this, yeah, in this perfect I, world 
I think Mistborn a movie makes more very sense. digestible. I don't think just anyone like, wants I to can start see <laughs> Way yeah. of Kings and, and Stormlight yeah. before it's done. You know, it's like, let's see what the ending is first. We yeah, want to make sure I, we're good on this one. I, I, right. I think uh, TV execs have learned that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Game of Thrones. So yeah. let's, uh, oh, I will say to uh, on this sort of Mistborn subject, uh, still even after reading Stormlight and all this stuff, I was talking to Charles a little bit before, and we were still thinking generic where to start with Brandon Sanderson. We did a whole episode, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of went through all these. Still makes more sense, I think, to start with Mistborn. Oh, yeah. That's a like, yeah. jumping off yeah. point. Like, do you want to tell someone, hey, read this thousand-page doorstopper, start with the prelude, and then you yeah. get into the prologue. And then you, it's like a lot to ask so it's good when you know you can trust sanderson but yeah. before that you might want to try something else it's a tough one but for sure i just yeah. think it'll be so much Agreed. work to adapt stormlight too where it, it'll still be a lot of work to adapt mistborn but i feel it's way more possible if that makes sense like yeah you can just have mistborn cool action sequences and have three movies and be done or have your show or whatever um Mm -hmm. you have to make some choices with stormlight you have to make some tough ones so i wouldn't envy anyone with that with that task for sure yeah i can see mistborn in my mind's eye you know when i think about a mistborn movie i kind of can imagine it stormlight it's even the miniseries it's kind of hard to actually like get a picture of what this is all looking like i agree well i but, will watch i will watch the heck out of any of it so yeah same here whatever Sign it me is, up. we're gonna watch it right? i will kickstart as many dollars as are required <laughs> yeah but <laughs> i want my money back for corvidai starring Maisie williams i think that's what it's called corvidai. pay up Maisie. <laughs> yeah Maisie. i i i've I added her uh like on Twitter. I added her um on her birthday. I wish her a happy birthday. No word uh in response. And she's dodging you, man. She's yeah. being really evasive <laughs> since the coronavirus incident. I know. I come on, I'm one of your millions of followers. Why won't you respond to me? <laughs> well, maybe next year. Next there's always another birthday, right? Yeah. <laughs> As always, another birthday. Well, you know, what do men value most? Timeliness. Let's start thinking about... <laughs> I thought they, it's novelty. <laughs> and there's nothing more novel than keeping an episode going far past... It's, it's uh, timeliness. Isn't is this it? our longest... It is, he, it is timeliness. At first, he says novelty. But, but then, then, he's like, he's, no. then he's like, it's actually timeliness. Because someone just copies your idea a little bit later and they get popular. And then so... It's like doing it at the right time was where he ended up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now it's, it's the right time to start thinking about wrapping up the episode. Uh, Steven, thank you so much for coming on, like kicking off our Stormlight Archive book discussions. Couldn't think of a better way to do it. Really appreciate you coming out. And I'm excited to hear uh, the rest of your thoughts, Charles, as you continue to read through. 
Yes. Well, when we'll read the second one is yet to be determined, but I do want to read through the whole series. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. And Sanderson continues to deliver. That's all I'm going to say. And I, and I have total faith in him for the next, the next installment as well. But uh, yes, thank you guys. If you like what you heard, go to Phantology. I don't know how many times you have to say it on the show. Phantology books, you know, they're a bunch of lifelong friends over there and they talk about a lot of great series and um, Cosmere being a prime example of what they discuss. So check them out. And then it's at Phantology Books, right? On, on, on all the social Phantology underscore books. Ooh, um, Twitter is correct. Don't forget that underscore. Don't forget the underscore, guys. It's a key part of all this. So, Phantology underscore books on Twitter. Check them out. Um, Yeah, guys, this has been a lot of fun. So much to talk about in this book. It's a long episode, but it needed to be. I mean, it could easily go twice as long, but uh, I think we hit a good spot. So, uh, Dylan, pleasure as always. (laughs) It's good to be back. And uh, thank you all for listening. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.